What's going on, coaches? Welcome to Keep Your Pads Down, the podcast made for the defensive line. And we are back after a week off, and I'm ready to get into some D-line play. Hope you are, too. we got a great guest coming to us from the JUCO ranks out in Southern California. So if you are, uh, like I said, if you're ready to talk some D-line play, then you have come to the right place. Well, I hope that your summer is going well and you've been able to, uh, you know, spend some time with the family, maybe take a vacation, relax a little bit but also get some good work in with your guys. Not sure how you coaches uh, outside of the state of Texas structure your summer stuff. But uh, this week, this is, uh, this is week three of our summer strength and conditioning program. Uh, Next week we'll be off. The whole state will be off as it's a dead week. Then we'll come back uh, the next week for, for three more weeks in July, have another week off and then we'll be ready to start the season, which is going to be here before you know it. And, And I think I don't know. This might just be me, but I, I'm I'm looking forward to this season probably more than any other in my time as a coach. There's you know a lot of probably a lot of you guys out there who feel the same way, especially you know after last season where you know depending on where you live, where you coach, you may not have been able to to, to play at all. Or like us, you're able to play, but just had to deal with all of the uh, with all of the COVID restrictions and and the protocols and, and all the things that went along with that. So it's going to be even that much sweeter to walk out on the field. Uh, in late August and see a full stadium on a Friday night and not have to wear a mask. So, yeah, I'm really, really excited and, and looking forward to this season. You know, this is also the time of year when, when, I, when I get start getting anxious. You know, I'm wondering if I'm covering everything that I need to with my guys. I'm, I'm looking for ways to gain an edge and, you know, listen to podcasts, watching clinics online, reevaluating my coaching methods, drills, cues, all of that. And if that's you and you're looking to pick up a few more things before the season kicks off, then not only is this podcast for you, but you also need to check out one of our sponsors for season three of KYPD and our coaching network. Our coaching network is a new football coaching platform connecting coaches from all levels and helping them get better every week. Our coaching network has live clinics going off three to four nights a week. I will have 150 plus hours of high quality live coaching clinics this year with each week's clinics added to a library that can be referred back to at any time in the future. This week, Our Coaching Network has clinics going off Monday through Thursday night, covering everything from coaching kickoff, running back play, linebacker play, coaching DBs, and more. So, hey, get on over there, create your account. It's very affordable. You can cancel at any time and begin learning and connecting with coaches from all over the country today. And while we're talking sponsors, our next sponsor that really proud to be joined up with for this season of the, of the podcast uh, can really help up your game when it comes to promoting the awesome things going on in your athletic program. Of course, I'm talking about our friends at GoEdit Graphics. Now, what GoEdit Graphics does is allow any coach to create custom graphics in minutes by changing the colors, the text, and the images to make it their own. They offer categories like game day, scoring, player profiles, and communication, to name a few. The platform is easy, it's affordable, and no design skills are needed. So if you're looking for a way to promote the things going on in your athletic program, then the team at Go Edit Graphics has got you covered. Subscriptions are for 12 months and include unlimited graphics. Here's something else that's cool. Mention keep your pads down and receive $25 off your showcase yearly package. You can go check them out on Twitter at Go Edit Graphics or visit their website through the link in today's show notes to see examples of the awesome graphics coaches have already created. You can also check out today's graphic with Coach Harrington as it was created using GoEdit Graphics as well. Showcase your athletes with custom graphics in minutes with GoEdit Graphics. Okay, so today, as I just alluded to, we're talking with Golden West College defensive line coach 
Savay Harrington. Coach Harrington enters his eighth season coaching the defensive line for the Rustlers. And during the offseason, he also works for Rep One Sports, an NFL sports agency that trains defensive linemen uh, in preparation for the NFL draft. Prior to coming to Golden West, Coach Harrington was an assistant coach at his alma mater there at Western High School for 16 years. As a player, Coach Harrington earned all Orange County honors as a linebacker at Western High School. He was a team captain for nationally ranked Golden West in 1987 and then earned a scholarship to play defensive line at Weber State, playing under Coach Mike Zimmer, who's currently the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. Today, Coach Harrington and I talk about the Russell's unique odd front, which allows them to utilize smaller, more athletic defensive ends that they are constantly moving. We also talk about a get-off drill that I'd never heard of before today and, and I think was really unique. And then we also talk about Coach's pass rush progression, which I would describe as a minimalist approach. And we talk about how they also break down opposing offenses, pass protection. So a lot of great stuff in this one. I really enjoyed talking with Coach Harrington today and know you'll enjoy what he has to say as well. So let's dive in. Here's Coach Savay Harrington on episode number 111 of KYPD. Coach Harrington, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, thank you for having me. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely, Coach. Well, we, hey, we always be, begin our conversations uh, here with, with our guests, sharing a little bit about their journey through the game of football. So let's start there. Tell us a little bit about that and, and how you got into coaching in the first place. So I started coaching in 1991. Uh, I was fresh out of college. Uh, I just finished playing football at Weber State University and, uh, you know, just that itch to stay close to the game brought me back to high school. And I end up going to the high school where I uh, played at. It's a Western high school in Anaheim, California. So I started there in 1991 as a lower level coach. Um, and I stayed there for a good 14, 15 seasons. And then in 2008, one of the boys that I had coached at Western ended up uh, going to Golden West College, uh, played a year there. In his second year, he called me and said, hey, coach, um, man, we need some coaches over here <laughs> at Golden West College looking for some defensive line coaches. And so um, interviewed with amazing person who's been a big influence with me, David Robinson, who was the D.C. at that time. Uh, he's the son of the legendary John Robinson. USC LA Rams coach and uh, he hired me as a defensive line coach at Golden West in 2008 and uh, I've been there ever since took a couple years off in 2013 and I uh, was hired by Rep One Sports Agency Bruce and Ryan Tolner their NFL agents to uh, work with their defensive linemen and um, at the time I tell you what uh, Ty it was a little intimidating you know, because uh, the athletes coming out of the time, I think the first two guys I had, one of them was Will Sutton, the two-time Pac-12 uh, Defensive Player of the Year. And he's like, hey, come and train my guys. You know, I, I need you to do some training. Um, but what an experience, a learning experience it was. I tell you, probably some of the most 
growth I've had as a defensive line coach was during that time and having the access to top-notch coaches. Um, and I tell my guys all the time, I didn't invent any of this stuff. I just take what I've learned from other guys. But in those those years when I started with Rep. One, I was able to go in 2010 and 2011 to the Under Armour Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. And um, I didn't realize at the time, but the game is not the important part of this whole process for these defensive linemen preparing for the NFL. It's that week of working with these coaches. And in 2010, it was the Detroit Lions coach and the Miami Dolphins coach. I think Soprano was at the time. And I tell you what, Ty, I was like a kid in a candy store for six days in those weeks practicing. I was able to walk up because I was working with them and literally be five feet away from guys teaching NFL stuff, D-line technique, and just opened my eyes to so many things. But uh, it was just a great opportunity to be able to participate and just be a part of that for those six days. And if you've ever had an opportunity, um, it's some of the best coaching you'll see and be a part of. It's so much detail and learning and watching how these guys, um, you think at the best in college football, are able to be taught by NFL guys, the detail types of things. So that was a great experience. I, I left for two years, did that with Rep. One. Uh, I still work with them doing training on the side as well. But during that time, I went back to Golden West in uh, 2014, and I've been there ever since. In between then, I've been uh, invited. I've been coached uh, in 2017. I started working with the USA national football team. Um, again, if you're ever part of USA football, some great coaches be there. We worked with the 14 under team, 14 U team, and um, helped them pick the national team. So we did regional camps, and uh, it was a great experience. And also been able to work with the uh, the Polynesian Hall of Fame Bowl in their camps. And um, wow, man, the guys that they bring in there to work the camps. Again, just another opportunity to pick guys' brain. I spent a half a day with Isaac Sapawanga the former 49ers nose guard and just explaining to me, I don't know if you ever remember Isaac, he played, a, it was a different technique at the time where he played a two gap technique, straight nose guard, but he was slightly off the ball and not aggressive on the tech. I, and I had him explain to me, but spending so much time with guys like that and just being able to be a part of things like that were just a part of my journey where I feel like he's just been able to, learn a lot from so many people and and the coaching staff at golden west um uh, my head coach nick mitchell and just um you know learning the the head part from the game from the head man and, and how to work the little things has been my journey so i've been at golden west my still be my 12th year i'm starting my 12th year so we we've had a couple uh, California JUCO guys here on the podcast, and one of the things that I that that I asked them about, uh, particularly in light of the um, Netflix uh, Last Chance You show that that featured Laney College and their season there, because for a lot of us, you know, that was that's that's been our only exposure to California JUCO football, which is very different than JUCO ball here in Texas. It's very different than JUCO ball in Mississippi, where I started coaching. You know, talk to it a, a little bit about 
just the challenges and the unique uh, things that go along with coaching uh, junior college football there in California? Sure. You know, one of the biggest challenges is that, especially in Southern California, I would say within a 10-mile radius, we have in Southern California, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. We have seven junior colleges, Ty, seven. And so we're talking about a recruiting area that is very, very competitive. Um, and so one of the challenges for Southern California is that um, you really have a limited amount of top-notch players to have access to. Um, doesn't mean we don't get them, but it creates a situation where, um, you know, there's a lot of times that we have to look out of state, you know, and go maybe out of our area. And what's interesting about the social media is that it's given us that opportunity, tie without breaking any of our rules, because obviously I can't fly out of state and recruit a kid that I see. But if he contacts me on social media, um, hey, it's it's open game. And um, and that's when I became a believer in social media and learning that that's going to be a part of it. But, you know, like I said, with that much competition around you, um, it is very, very competitive. It's very competitive. And, you know, it goes kind of in cycles to where you have a good recruiting class. Uh, you'll do well for a couple of years. And then you drop off a little bit. It may struggle. Thank goodness since 2000, when I came 2010, uh, there's two different levels in junior college football in California, uh, one and two. And we started in the bottom division. We were not very good when we first got there our first two years. Moved up in 2010 and have been there for 11 straight years. So we've been able to compete. Um, and like I said, it's, it's platforms like social media that have really opened a lot of doors to get access to players that we've never had in the past. I had a two-time All-State defensive tackle from Seattle, Washington, played at O'Day High School, who, who messaged me on Twitter and said, hey, Coach, hey, I really like what you're doing. Um, you know, what would it take for me to come down there and visit? And he had a couple small Division II offers. And um, he ended up coming two years straight, like I said, made first-team All-State and ended up getting multiple Division I offers when he left here. Um, I think really tied that the the biggest thing that you have to do in JC football in Southern California is develop those kids that you have. And what I mean, you're going to get your top guys, you're going to get your bounce backs, but it's those mediocre players that you must develop in your program to sustain it. And thank goodness our head coach has really done a great job surrounding us with some good staff and facilities to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I would imagine that um, like a lot of small colleges that you guys are having to recruit based a lot, a lot on, on potential, right? I mean, of course you're getting those guys that, that everyone, or you're, you're seeing those guys that everybody wants. And, but, mm -hmm. but at, at some point you got to maybe take a flyer on a kid that's, you know, maybe still a little raw or maybe a little undersized and then get them on your, on your campus and then develop them. Right. So I'm assuming that you have to develop an eye for uh, the kid that's maybe a year away or maybe two years away um, or maybe just a, you know, maybe a summer or a semester away. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. We have to, you know, we're not very big. It is a little bit different now, but like I say, in the early years, Ty, uh, we were not turning anybody back. 
we're a little bit more selective now to, to say, hey, can this person help us or not? But absolutely, if there's a raw kid um, that says, you know, he's got the pass all the, the eye tests, uh, we definitely are going to take a shot at him and feel that we're confident enough that we have a program where he's going to get better. And the great thing about JUCO, I played JUCO myself and was able to take advantage of the opportunities, is that um, you don't know the intangibles and how well these guys are going to do in two years. I've had um, one of my best defensive tackles. Um, he was undersized, 5'11", about 270, coming out of high school. Had one, one Division I offer, Idaho State. Took the trip, and the head coach at the time uh, took the offer away and said to the D-line coach, he's too short, he can't play here. So the only D1 offer that he had was taken away on his trip. Kid was a little bummed out, came back, uh, played for us, and just was a heck of a football player. He ended up earning a scholarship. <laughs> he ended up earning a Pac-12 offer to University of Arizona. Uh, he had every Mountain West offer, Colorado State, San Diego State, uh, Fresno, you know, all the Mountain West schools. Ended up picking Fresno State because of the coaching staff at the time. Three-year starter there was the Mountain West uh, – in the Mountain West Championship game was the player of the game. Nine tackles, one tackle for loss, hit on the quarterback. And this cat had no D1 offers out of high school. Unbelievable. So, yeah, it is, that's the rewarding part. And you're right. We do have to look for those diamonds in the rough. That's our job. And so that kind of that's going to kind of segue us into uh, what we're really talking about today, which is pass rush. And, um, you know, when we were talking in, in our conversations leading up to this one about what we wanted to cover today uh, and you said, you know, talk about pass rush progression. Uh, I really you know, I love talking about that because uh, as a big fan of this, this podcast said uh, not too long ago, it's Coach Tino Acosta. I'll give him a shout out. But that coaching pass rush is like the never ending quest. Right. There's always stuff to learn. And there's, there's, you know, you can go and, and talk to every D-line coach across the country and everybody's going to kind of have their own little flavor and spin on things of how they actually go about doing that. So let's, let's start things off with, first of all, just give us a little bit of, um, uh, talk to us a little bit about your defensive front and what you're trying to do with those guys. And then we'll get into your pass rush uh, coaching progression. Sure. So my first 10 years, we were uh, even front. We played the over-under where we shaded the nose on the center played that three technique and played our defensive ends in the five. We were over under knock back, really aggressive off the ball gap scheme. And um, we were pretty good at it. Just really basic. Didn't uh, change a whole lot of things, ran cover two behind it and uh, just focused on the run progression as far as uh, staying in our gaps, being disciplined, you know, reading our, our, uh, the reads of the offensive linemen, and then um, things kind of changed a couple years ago. Uh, we went from having 12, 13 defensive linemen to having nine in camp. And we knew that there was no way we can go into a season with nine defensive linemen playing a four-man front. There was just, we weren't going to be able to make it through one injury and we'd be in trouble. So two years ago, we moved to an odd front. So now we play with uh, two defensive ends in our nose. You know, we experimented that first year when we first got that odd front, trying to play our defensive ends in that four eye and trying to be stout with them. But again, we just didn't have 
that type of body, that type of kid to put him in a four eye and expect him to be able to, you know, punch a tackle, turn his back to the guard and play double team. So uh, we evolved from there. And now we are just a three man moving front. Our two defensive ends are about six foot. I want to say 230 and they are fast as hell. And so we want to take advantage of what they do well. And that's movement. And so to keep those guys and ask them to, you know, take on double teams, to stay on blocks uh, would be silly of us. So we got, um, we implemented our defense. We actually took it from uh, St. Mary's College. I'm not sure if you're familiar with St. Mary's. But their scheme uh, seemed to fit our personnel pretty well. And now we're constantly moving. 75 to 80% of our defensive line is movement. We're either slanting. We are slipping, we are step and reading, and uh, we are not, <laughs> what it's done for us is that we don't get double teams anymore. Because if I'm a defensive end and I'm playing in a four, and we're telling, we give them a call to slant right or left, he's reading the next inside man to him. If that man comes down into double team, he's crossing his face. So we've eliminated all the double teams in this defense, which is crazy to think about. But it's, uh, it's been pretty amazing. And after that first year we put this in, Ty, offensive line coaches were coming up to us and saying, what the hell are you guys doing? This is, you know, this is impossible to block. Because if we are watching the offensive line and then reacting to what they do, the only way we can get in trouble is if we make a mistake on a read. And that's what the offensive line uh, coaches were saying. I had really good friends. In fact, one of them was the Grossmont offensive line coach. You mentioned Grossmont. He said, we're just hoping you make a mistake. And when you do, we'll take advantage of it. And, and so um, it's been a little bit adjustment, uh, you know, with all the movement. I don't know if you've heard of some of the, the plus one schemes where you cross somebody's face, someone else comes, you plus one him, cross again. So it's been interesting. And I talked to our DC the other day and I said, um, you know, do you think we'll, we'll ever get back to, <laughs> you know, that old school, uh, even front over and under stuff where we're punching. And he says, you know what, as long as things are working now until our personnel change, we'll probably stick with this scheme. So that's what we've been doing for two years. All right. Now I want to, I that, really want to unpack that because that sounds really interesting <laughs> And, and I know that there are guys across the country who are listening to this whose daubers just shot up because they got little guys, you know, whether they're at a small school in Texas or you know, um, somewhere else, in, you know, in another state somewhere. All right. So let's talk about, are, are they basing, are you guys basing those ends out of fours? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, you know, they're, they're coming off and they're, they're, they're react and then attack, correct? That's kind of what you, how you would describe the the uh, I guess the 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 personality or the, the mindset. Yep, yep. And then yep. Uh, so so I'm coming off and I'm attacking and like you said, when I'm am I are my eyes on the tackle or my eyes looking inside to the guard? How, how does that work? Yeah. So we're off the ball, and it was funny because I it brought me back to like I was telling you the the time I'd spent with Isaac Sakwong, and it reminded me a lot of that. So if you watch tape on Isaac Sapuanga, he was about a yard off the ball and he did one of those crab stance. He did not have a weight on the front hand. He was a reading nose guard and he made a lot of money on that technique. 
And he said, and it brought me back to that, and I'll explain how our defense works. And he would say he would be soft on the attack. He wouldn't really be aggressive. He would start to come out of his stance a little bit, but he would wait and react until what the center did before he did. And if the center tried to reach him, he was automatically backdooring that. And the crazy thing about this is that Isaac added a twist to this, and I'm I'm just telling what he told me. He said, look, they think I'm going to backdoor, I'm going to backdoor, but guess what? When I get to a part of the game where they're sitting on my backdoor move, I'm going to play fast over the top. So he was doing stuff back then. I don't think a whole lot of people, if you ever have a chance to watch tape on him, you watch his tape. It's like the old Oregon in the, I want to say late nineties where that coach was having him sit down and kind of like in a crab stance and watching them read. So for us, we line our, our defensive ends in a four, our nose guard is in a zero, depending on what the alignment is of the offense, they'll give them a, a lark call, which telling the defensive line, all three of them will make a movement to the left on the snap of the ball. If I'm the left defensive end, my responsibility is for contain. That's when I am aggressive, 45, stepping and punching, throat and shoulder, setting the edge. If I'm the nose guard, so there's no read on that. Unless the tackle blocks down, then he will freeze and squeeze. If I'm the nose guard and I hear a left call, I'm looking, my eyes are right to that guard. So as I take a six-inch lateral step, it's not forward, it's not slanting at this time. I take a six-inch lateral step into the A-gap as I'm watching the guard. Now, if that guard goes vertical and I see a gap, I'm taking that gap and going. If that guard comes at him after he six-inch steps and reads, he crosses his face immediately. If that hip goes away, he is stepping and he is cutting the field in half. So the philosophy behind this defense is, is if you have the end contain end cutting the field and your nose guard cutting a field with the pressure coming away from them, you have just eliminated a portion of the field. And if done correctly, the defensive end and nose can literally cut that field in half and take away any option to that side, any running option, any play option that's there. And then that backside end would also be moving to the left. So it's all in rhythm, all in sync, all three guys. So how are you playing your linebackers behind them with, with the possibility of these guys playing different gaps, depending on what that, I'm sure they're, they're, they're heavy reading guards and kind of knowing what that defensive line is taught to do and, and Mm -hmm. fitting the gap based on what that defensive line is supposed to do. Is that correct? Yeah. So that's tough on the backers. They're going to try to make us right, but they're playing A to C and they're not playing very fast. They're letting us do what we do. And, and you do end up sometimes, like in the beginning, when we first started running this, we ended up with linebackers and nose guards in the B-gap, and that caused a lot of problems. But now, uh, as we started getting better with the scheme, the kids started get understanding it, uh, we don't end up with guys. You know, guys are fitting much better inside. But, yeah, it is very – if you're a linebacker, you probably – yeah, you're probably fast reading. But there are times when they're involved in the – in the blitz scheme where they're just coming right off and doing the read as well. So, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. For so now we have that, that kind of, that established what you guys are uh-huh. trying to do out of your base and, and against the run. How mm-hmm. does that translate in your pass rush progression, you know, rushing from a four and with, with, the, with all the movement that you're doing. So talk a little bit about that. Now let's get into that. Okay. So um, 
with our scheme, it, it actually helps a lot, um, Ty, because if we are doing that type of movement and it's a passing situation, like if it's a 50-50 down, uh, we, we usually won't call those movements on um, passing, true passing situations, third and long, second and long. So if we're in a 50-50 down and we get caught in a, uh, I won't say caught, but if we're running that type of scheme where we're moving the whole defensive front, right or left, um, it actually works out pretty well. We come with the five-man pressure off that. So our three defensive linemen are moving to one right or left, and then we got two guys coming off the edge. So the same exact rules apply. If I take my six-inch step and I see hi-hat by the guard, if he stays there and there is no slide protection, then I'm going to hit the A-gap as I come in. It makes it even better for the defensive end from the backside who's coming across the formation. If he sees the guard hi-hat, <clears throat> it really gives him an opportunity to do a two-way go. Because as he steps and he sees the guard stay vertical, he kicks and shows hi-hat, he can take B-gap or a gap and it's we've shown that it's been very difficult uh for offensive linemen if you think about it to be able to stop a guy coming from a yard deep with a two-way go i mean it puts him in real pickle so hard part has been teaching our defensive end who are responsible for containing that whole blitz on how to be disciplined with his eyes because if you get the pressure right he's rolling to the contained side and we have lost a lot of sacks with that because just the discipline and being able to play the quarterback if he does roll out and try to get outside contain, or if he steps up in the pocket, he's got to be the guy to be able to, to set that. So with our scheme, uh, pass rush actually has been pretty good with that. Um, in terms of pass rush progression straight, we know it's passing down. <clears throat> we usually move back to our old four-man front. So it's kind of nice. We'll either drop a linebacker down, squeeze that defensive end down to a three, and we end up with the four-man front. Um, and in our, in our <clears throat> my pass rush, what we really focus on, though, Ty, I think what I've learned in the past is uh, when we talk pass rush progression, the first thing that I love to teach about that I feel is the most necessary is the mindset of these guys. Before I teach them anything else, I teach them mindset, what they have to have um, to be an elite pass rusher, to be an effective pass rusher. What does that require? And so the first thing I do is I throw out examples. I say, look, if you get uh, 15 rushes at a quarterback and you get back there two times, um, is that a productive night? What's the percentage? Um, Less than 20%. You're right around 13, 14%, right? You get two rushes out of 15. Uh, you would think percentage-wise, that's not a good night. So I ask kids that. Is that good? 15 rushes, two sacks? And some of them will say, no, that's not really good. And I say, let's think about that for a second. You get two sacks in one game. Is that a productive night? And then kids will say, well, that is pretty good. And so my next question is this. Those next 13 reps where you don't get a sack, Where's your head? And so to me, Ty, that's what separates an elite pass rusher because you play D-line. You know when um, your heart's pumping out of your chest and you're tired as hell and it's third and long, you put your hand down and you go again. And so to me, that's what really has separate uh, really good pass rushers because, hey, look, well, you can teach a guy a move. 
and he can be effective on it. But if somebody stops it, where do those guys' minds go? And you see it a lot. Kids get frustrated. What am I doing wrong? Uh, how come it's not working? I'm like, pass rush is just one of those things where 13% is actually not too bad. You know, you're not doing too bad. 13, 15% is actually one of the things. So um, <clears throat> mindset to me is really the key in starting all that. And then with the progression, uh, I really feel like get off is the heart of that. And I really think that the same with the run stuff, hips, hands, and feet are right behind that in that same area. So I go mindset, work the mindset, make sure they're mentally tough. Get off is my next progression. Hips, we do a lot of hips. I say hips, but I really mean, you know, reducing the surface kind of stuff. And then hands and feet to me have to be worked as one. The hands and feet part. So if um, we do have a couple pass rush rules and all my kids are expected to know these rules, pass rush rules that we have. And so it helps them, I believe, understand the game. The first one is just, I ask kids, okay, alignment. Do you understand that alignment can absolutely affect the set of offensive alignment? So it's stuff that's pre-snap. We got two things. You have to have understand where your alignment is and how that's going to affect the pass set. The second is you must have some type of plan because if you get off and get into the middle of your get off and then try to figure out what your move is, you're already slowed down your move. So two pre-snap rules that we always have alignment, move, adjust your alignment. Don't line up the same spot every time. Gives the advantage to the offensive lineman. Have a plan. Then the next three are very simple. Get off the ball, stay half man, and never stop moving your feet. <clears throat> and then as far as the progression goes, we have some drills that I kind of like to do when we start working up on that. Well, let me stop you real quick before we move uh, on to those drills. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I was, I was writing that stuff down. I wanted to make oh, sure you got it. Um, okay. So I, I think that the mindset, you know, I think on our last episode, a couple of weeks ago, I asked, um, the guys, you know, the panel of guys we had on, uh, what the most maybe undercoached aspect of defensive line play was. And mm-hmm. I don't know if we said that, but that definitely should have been an answer because the mindset of a pass rusher is one of those things that, that has to be trained, uh, just like you do, just like you train a pass rush move or a get off or anything else. Uh, because you see so many kids, I mean, I see them all the time. Their their initial move fails, and they just stop, or they don't have a plan, or they just, and then they get frustrated. That crap doesn't work, and then then they're not good. You know, then they just kind of go on the tank. So I think coaching that that mindset is really important. Um, talk to me about how you coach get off specifically, particularly, you know, within your defensive front within your scheme. Are those guys changing up their stance when they when they in a passing situation? What's that look like? Yeah, absolutely. When we're third and long, we know it's, um, you know, a pass rushing situation, good chance. Yeah, we definitely change our stance. We're not going light. We get some weight on our hand. Our stance is definitely a little bit more weight forward. Our feet are a little bit more staggered. So one of my first drills that I like to do when I teach get off uh, is your stance. Okay, you've got to adjust your stance. It's not a 50-50 down. It's not a rundown. Now we have a get off pass rush stance. and so we, we have to teach that stance. And some guys, it's hard to transition to that. Um, you see them get in a run stance, and it's just not as effective as gaining ground as you do. So one of the things that I like is a step over bag and a shoot. 
And what I do is you've probably seen that before. You have them underneath the chute or a plastic chute. You put the step over bag right underneath the chute. One hand goes over the bag. The other toe that's uh, the foot that's uh, up goes on the bag. And you're just teaching them to gain ground, being able to take elongate that step as they come out. Just understanding that that helps them with changing the stance. Um, one of the things that I picked up um, years ago, and, and it's one of the things that I feel like has made a difference in our guys' get-off tie, is that we call them, I don't know what the guy called them when we did them, and I don't remember when we saw them. <laughs> uh, when I was working with my DC, uh, Dave Robinson, his dad was John Robinson. And Ty, this guy got treated like the way he should, a legend. We would walk into Rose Bowl practices. We'd walk into Rams and Charger practice whenever we want. And all they just say, hey, John. And we had carte blanche wherever we went. So one day I saw these guys, Ty. They had two hands down. And they were in a, a staggered stance. And the coach had them popping their feet up about a foot and a half off the ground. And I asked my coach, I said, what are they doing? He goes, I don't know. <laughs> we asked the coach later, and he says, I'm teaching them a donkey kick to activate both legs out of their get-off. And so he did this drill. They'd be in their four-point stance, and he'd say kick, and their feet would come up off the ground and touch. Kick, feet come up on the ground and touch. And they're still staggered, one's forward, one's back. Kick. And on the third one, when they hit, their both feet went, they get off the ball. And he explained to us that he's trying to activate both legs instead of two. And the way he explained it was, I want you to think of a, a track guy in the blocks. When a guy puts his feet in the track, now these are, are elite sprinters. The get-off is the main thing in a sprinting race. When their feet go in the blocks, you ask a sprinter, is he pushing off one leg or is he kicking, bending those legs and pushing off both? And I tell you what, you uh, when I one of the times I was at the Under Armour camp, the Miami Dolphins defensive line coach was literally measuring guys get off. Oh, uh, 15 inches. Oh, 20. I mean, he was specific. Okay, I, And remember, this, the senior bowl is a test. And you can measure explosion just by a guy's get off. So um, I knew that that was probably something was pretty important for the defensive line. And... Um, Watching the guys do these donkey kicks was amazing. And then watching the defensive line uh, be able to understand that was even better. I've really seen a difference with those. Um, I have a couple. That's that's, yeah. that's really interesting. I, I've I've never heard of that or, or really. But it, no, but it makes sense. It, it really does. And and that's something I'm, I kind of want to go try it out now. I've, I'm, I'm you 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 got me tempted to push this chair back and, and give it a <laughs> room right here. But I don't want to wake I don't want to wake the kids up in the next room, so I'll just uh, I'll I'll try it later. But I'm sorry I cut so, you off. Go ahead. No, so um, I did. So I don't know. You know Chuck Smith, right? NFL, uh, Doctor Rush. I text. I messaged him one time and say, Chuck, what do you think about this drill? Chuck texts me back. You know what he said? Ty, been doing this for a long time, brother. Good job. Keep it up. Really? I'm like, wow. but but these are those things that like, you know. Yeah, you have to be able to be around someone like that to be able to learn. And I tell you what, people looked at me crazy sometimes. I went to the All-American Poly Camp uh, two years ago, and I'm doing this. And I, I swear there's coaches from, I can't remember where they were, uh, uh, some schools, four-year schools saying, what are you doing? What is that? And I explained to them, like I just told you, teaching them how to engage both legs instead of one. The guy goes, wow, I've never seen that. So 
But that's one of the, um, I really feel like that's helped our guys get off. The other thing that I got a quick story for you here that I promise you will help guys get off, Ty, is if you teach them to focus on something small, especially in a one-on-one drill. So uh, it was the been 2015. I was training uh, Bronson Kafusi. He was a BYU defensive end, 6'6", about 270, 280. Uh, he was projected to be about a fifth-round draft pick. And um, his, you know, his thing coming out of college was he just didn't have the explosion off the ball. So obviously we worked a lot of get off, a lot of donkey kicks, a lot of, um, you know, exploding out of the stands. But um, one of the things that really helped him, I believe, was the stimulus part of get off. And so we call it, I tell him to focus on the quarter, the stimulus. And if you've ever done this before, it's very interesting. I'll go to a camp and I'll ask a guy, okay, we're going to do one-on-one. You watch the offensive lineman. And you get off, obviously, when the offensive lineman moves. And so you see the defensive lineman move when the offensive lineman moves. And I'll ask the D lineman, I'll say, well, what are you focusing on? Um, Sometimes they can't tell you. Some will say, oh, his chest. Some will say, "Uh, his thigh. Um, What I found is that, in fact, Craig Rowe is a big believer of this, is the stimulus. You teach stimulus. So we call it the quarter drill. And this kid, Bronson Kafusi, took this to another level. He went to the Senior Bowl and earned himself into the third round uh, because the only drill that matters in the underarm Senior Bowl is the one-on-one drills for D-line and O-line. And he dominated that drill. He came back after the week and said, Coach, man, I, I did really well. He said, I really think that quarter drill really helped me. And I said, tell me why. And he said he was focusing on the tip of the offensive lineman's finger. He noticed that many offensive linemen, so I'm the right offensive tackle, when they set up and get here, before anything moves, they do this little flick. He said, Coach, I was focusing on the tip of his glove, and as soon as that flicked, I was gone. And he was he was beating guys. And, and I would teach something like that to a young offensive lineman. I'll say, as soon as he gets off and he doesn't tell me what he's focusing on, I'll say, okay, let's focus on something size of a quarter whatever, the Nike sign, the toe, Nike on the sock. And you will see the difference immediately, Ty, when he focuses on the stimulus just comes smaller. So I've said it a couple of times on this podcast, but quoting um, uh, the, uh, the, the Mel Gibson movie, the Patriot, where he teaches it, he's teaching his sons how to shoot. And he says, aim small, miss small. And, Mm. And I actually think I used a variation of that line today, talking with, with linebackers, just about, you know, find like you said, finding something small and focusing on that because especially, you know, you can look like an all-American in your in your your pop drills or whatever. But when you yeah. roll a ball out into the equation and now everybody's trying to find the ball. And so, you know, especially those young guys, you just get them focus on something small. Everything else tend to will kind of slow down for them. Um, and then consequently they can they can speed up in the way that they play. So I think that's a great, yeah. um, a great thing to focus on. I've never heard it called that before, and I'm I'm definitely on that. Uh, yeah. and, and you'll see it, Ty, when you go, and especially if, you know, there's a crowd at the game. I know you guys got some fans at your games out there in Texas. If there's fans at the game and it's cheering, it allows him to eliminate a lot of that noise and focus on the small thing. It will it will make a big difference. It does. It has made a big difference. And, and it's funny, when Kafusi came back to me, I said, well, did you tell the D-line coach what you were doing? He goes, oh, hell no. I didn't tell him what we were doing. 
I didn't tell yeah, about it. Yeah, that's right. You got to keep those, got to keep those industry secrets uh, pretty close to the vest. So yeah. your your third uh, progression there, uh, or third step in your progression was hip, hands, and feet. Hips, hands, and feet. Uh, what mm-hmm. are some drills that you're using to to work those? Yeah. So um, I don't say a lot of hips. I don't use that a whole lot. <clears throat> we really just call it reducing the surface and just learning how to turn your shoulders more. Uh, I think. You know, even at the JC level, we get some pretty smart guys. But if you start saying so much hips, it's almost like too much hips. And so we focus more on the upper body and feet. But one of the drills that I really like that I I picked up long ago, again, like I tell you, I didn't invent any of this stuff. I just see stuff that I like, and then I implement it to what I do. We call it a walk the line drill. You've probably seen this before. Uh, You use pop-ups or you use, uh, you can even use players. And what you do is that you have your... um, five players, or like I said, pop-ups with the arms on them, and you line them up five yards apart. And your first guy, you have put his left line on that straight line that you're on. The next guy behind him that's five yards will put his right foot on the line, and so forth, so forth, till you get the fifth one. So you end up with a little, you end up with a straight line, but the guys are slightly staggered. But you can still see the line that they're on. So the walk the line drill, and you've probably seen this done before with a, a stick. I've seen it done before a stick where guys teach them to turn their hips. See, guys don't realize that when they do get, you know, they're trying to turn their shoulders, that they're not turning them very much until you actually put a stick on them and say, oh, shoot, yeah, I can overemphasize them. So, you know, it, it kind of enhances that same time. So we call it walk the line. And when we're teaching this, we always start with hands behind our back. So the defensive lineman will approach that first bag or person with his hand up and he will stagger the line. Both feet will be staggered on the line. When he gets close to the arm on the bag, he will immediately flip his hips to where they come parallel as his chest, trying to step on the line as he goes by. And what this really teaches it, where you could see as a coach is which kids are able to keep that tight turn. And then you'll notice kids step off the line You'll notice kids go around the arm um, so you can really see which kids, what we call at that level, have the wiggle, which kids are able to do that, have that flexibility. And so, like I said, so we'll get them five, and I've just got my hands behind my back. And as soon as I get it, teaches them to close the distance so where that arm or that pop-up arm is on there, where as soon as it gets close, they're able to turn. You'll see guys turn prematurely, and you explain to them, look, that distance, the distance that we call, you must take that air out in order to be effective pass rusher because that distance allows the offensive lineman to recover on that. So that's one of my favorites that we do all the time. And I and it really helps the young kids, the high school kids that we coming out, they have no idea, Ty, sometimes what it does to get their sh- uh, surface reduced in turn. And so I really like that um, walk the line drill. Yeah, I think that's a great point that you bring up. and and. It seems like, uh, you know, we've hit on a couple of things that have sort of been uh, kind of hot topics on on defensive line Twitter as of late uh, mm-hmm. with the hip flip. And do you coach that? Do you not? And and um, I, I think that that the way that you're putting that, you're really reducing your surface area is probably a better way to put it. Um, and and and, you know, in in the fact that you aren't putting necessarily the, the emphasis on the hips, but it is just getting skinny and turning the corner, and getting around that offensive lineman. Yeah. It, yeah. Because, you know, like, you know, if you say flip your hips, some kids will literally try to do that during a pass rush 
and not understand yet that their upper body must turn. But if the ideal situation is your hips actually continue to go forward as your shoulders are turning to the side, reducing the surface, turning your toes to me is more important than actually, you know, trying to get their whole hips turned around. So yeah. Yeah. Well, not easy to teach though. It's not easy to teach. Right. Well, hey, and I'm, I am, I'm, I've, I've said, I've, 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 um, I've changed a lot of things that I do because of this podcast and guys that I've had on, I've changed mm-hmm. lingo. And, and I think that that's one of those things, you know, when you do something like this, when you talk with people, you have to be willing to uh, be open-minded to change some things and tweak some yeah. things. And so that's something that's, that's kind of been brought to my attention. I'm like, well, maybe I need to re you know, how, I'm, how I'm saying that and how I'm, uh, how I'm getting that across. Okay. So, we talked about some drills and we talked about different things like that and in and, and, and your approach, um, you know, talk about like um, w- when guys come out of their stance, okay. And they're getting ready to execute that move. How are you, how are you coaching them to, uh, to, to execute that move? You know, some coaches do on a, you know, on their third step, they're going, you know, speed, speed, power, or maybe they are, uh, you know, have, have, a, have their guys focusing on a spot behind the, you know, the outside leg, of the mm-hmm. offensive line, you know, different ways to do it. How are you, how are you coaching it? Yeah. So for the defensive ends, uh, I really like to focus on uh, it's envisioning your path to the quarterback. I saw this years ago and I really love this drill where uh, the coach just simply put the arc in um, tie. So he just put the arc and put it right off the edge and put his arc hook cones in one simple arc and had the quarterback standing there. And I heard him just take saying, envision, vision your path to the quarterback and run the race. We've all heard that run the race, run the race, which we want those speed rushers to run as fast as they can, because it's going to give them a lot better opportunity. So, and all he did was just focusing and letting them run that arc as fast as possible. Um, And the word that I liked that he used, he kept telling them, vision your path to the quarterback. And later after the drill was done, I asked the coach, I said, I can't, I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was. I said, why did you keep telling them to see their path to the quarterback? And this is what he told me. He said, look, coach, if they can see their path to the quarterback, they can stay on that path as fast as possible. But if something comes into that path, that sends them the message that they know it's time to make a a different move. That's the time for your counter move. And so, in terms of, of teaching move, I really don't say, I don't like to hold it to two steps and go. I, I let them play it out. It has to be, I don't want them to think, you know, cause some guys are so literal where, you know, I have to do this move in two steps, but in reality, depending on offensive lineman set, it may or may not work. A lot of it obviously is game day preparation. You may, you may be able to plan that out if there's an opponent that you've studied. But my biggest thing, when I teach a pass rush or we get to a move, you must take the air out of that, that move to be effective. And what I mean is close the distance, take the air out. And a lot of the times, Ty, I, I don't even let them use their hands. I will have them rush with their hands behind their back so they understand what it feels like to close the distance. With young pass rushers, I really feel like they rush it way too many times. I see them chopping at air. I see them trying to swim and they swim air. Um, and so that to me is, is one of the biggest things when I say, look, you must 
learn to close a distance. And so I really like doing um, the crayon and some of the, um, the hand pad stuff. So they get used to closing it on me and I can see that. And, and the other drill, I really believe the, uh, the walk the line drill also helps them to kind of visualize closing that distance when they execute a move. But staying with our basic rules of getting off the ball, staying half man and keeping your feet moving. As long as they do that, I tell them you're going to have a chance to win. If you're, if you at some time, like we said, the percentages are very small. And if you have a chance to execute a good move in there, the, the percentage even goes up higher after that. Yeah. And I imagine with, with the guys that you're talking about, you know, that, that, that are lighter guys that, that are speed guys that are really fast, that that's, you know, when you have kids like that, I mean, don't overcomplicate it, you know, um, Hey, you, like you said, run your race, envision your path to the quarterback. Um, kind of what I've told those guys before when I've been, been fortunate to have them is, you know, you got that, that spot, you know, it's four yards behind that outside leg of that tackle. Like you beat him to that spot. And if he, then if he beats you, okay. If he, if he beats you, then that's when you counter and, and, and you try to simplify, simplify it that way. Same concept. Uh, yeah. taking a jump rope and, and kind of stretched it out. Like you talked about that half moon arc yeah. there to, and then, yeah. Hey, if they cross that, if they cross that jump rope, then you got to counter. If not, if they stay inside, then you keep, you keep running, running your pass. So I, I, I like that a lot. Are you, do you, do you teach any specific moves per se, or is it just, um, you know, you kind of let those guys, you know, do the, the different hand fighting things that they feel comfortable with. How are you, how are you doing that? Yeah, I really like to do it on an individual basis. So depending if my guys, uh, I feel like there's two types of rushers, Ty. I think you're a finesse or your power, one or the other. And and I take my guys and I say, look, if you're a power guy, then we want to stick to power moves. I don't need you, you know, trying to work flipping your hips every time if you're, you know, you're 280, 270, unless the guy's giving you a quick jump set or something, then you may have to work that. Yeah, but I really like to take what they have and work with them to develop me. And um, depending on, you know, some, some like we just got a couple freshmen in this year that are probably the longest I've had in three years, six, four, you know, 220 kids with length and long arms. Oh, these guys got speed off the edge where a simple chop rip are, and they're gone. They're off the edge. So, yeah, I just like, I always ask them, tell me what's your favorite move. You know, let's do, why do you like that move? And then I try to fit them into either a, um, uh, a aggressive pass or a power rusher or a finesse rusher and use those moves depending on, you know, what they do well. Yeah. So my, my defensive tackle, my nose guard that went to uh, Fresno State, he's not a finesse dude, but he can rip and hump the heck out of you. <laughs> um, talk about just when you're, you're looking at an offensive line then and you're breaking down an offensive line, whether it be protection-wise or uh, looking for tails on different things. You know, how are you breaking down that offensive line as far as their protection goes? And do you have a system in place that kind of helps you figure out what, you know, what type of protection they're doing when they do it, that sort of thing? Yeah. So for us, we have three things when we're looking at the offensive line. Um, and we have three different categories that we always go through these things when we're looking at offensive line. The first one, like you mentioned, is obviously the pre-snap. Um, and, and, you know, is there a tell? Is there something in his stance that has told me, hey, he's light, but down usually is a big one. I remember two years ago, gosh, 
I feel almost bad for him, Ty, because there's a right tackle that simply was just the biggest tell. And what we do is we give a silver or gold call. Gold meaning run down in the ground. Silver meaning, oh, that's a silver look. And we did silver, gold all that week in practice. And I tell you what, I think we must have got 99%. And when we heard a silver call, our guys were changing their stance and getting off the ball. So pre-snap reads is our first and probably our, our biggest and most important. The second we look at is the sets that they give. Um, and it could vary. What's interesting is, um, you know, I feel like there's not a whole lot of consistency at times when it comes to the pass set. Similar to, like I said, I work with the guys and try to develop what I think they're best and more equipped with. I see that sometimes in the offensive line, which is, is actually harder because you may get a guy that does a good quick set. Um, then you get a guy that's a big kicker. So there's a lot of adjustments that has to be made. So the set is really our second, um, our second phase that we look at. And the last is um, hands. So we go pre-snap. What kind of set does he like to do? And where do his hands go? Is he a reacher? Are his hands up? Are his hands down? That will tell us a lot on what type of moves we're going to be more effective on. And in terms of, of how we, what system uh, we do, um, so I will, we don't really have a system to, but we do have some tendency formation stuff. Like if they're in a formation, we already know that this formation based on tendency is going to be 80% slide protection or something. So we'll be calling that out. We have a dummy call for a watch slide, watch slide. Um, as far as charting things, the only thing I ask my guys to do is every week is to give me something that they've seen in film on the guy that they're going against. I don't tell them what it is. I mean, I could see stuff, but they need to tell me what the weaknesses they've seen throughout the week in film sessions. Yeah, I love that because that gives those guys ownership, right, in the game plan. And uh, I've done I've done that before with some of my guys, and they they come to you all excited, and <laughs> they have something, and sometimes it's nothing. You're like, well, man, okay, <laughs> you know, you saw that off of one drive, and you know, uh, if we watch, you know, every game, that doesn't necessarily play out, but sometimes it does. Um, I mean, I've had several occasions where where guys bring me something, and it's it's legit, and you know, because as coaches, we're watching a lot of stuff. But if you got your, you know, you got your, uh, you know, your three tech just watching the guards, like that's yeah. all he's watching, or your defense fans just watching the tackles, you know, they can pick up on a lot of stuff that sometimes we overlook. Yeah, no, it it, it really helps them a lot, I think. So let's let's uh, let me ask you this: um, mm -hmm. when 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 you're watching an offensive line, and this is for uh, the offensive line guys out there so we're gonna we're gonna throw them a bone uh here yeah. when you're watching an offensive line uh and i'm actually stealing this question from another great podcast also called uh, run the power you might have heard of it coach it's a really good podcast um but but they they asked this question but you know when you're watching offensive line what is it about that offensive line that makes you think man uh you know it's this this could be a long night for us or maybe concerns you or at least at the very least makes you respect what they're doing and how they play yeah, um, there's there's a couple things. What I would say that is, I don't want to say scary, but that is, is concerning at times when you see a patient offensive lineman. Once you see a guy that is disciplined with his technique and he doesn't bite on the first move, um, 
and he's disciplined, it's it's a little, you know, you got your work cut out for you. You know that uh, he's not just your average Joe. The other thing is that I tell my guys, is, look, these guys are moving backwards and playing against us. These guys have to kick backwards. We're moving forward. Uh, can you imagine rushing backwards? <laughs> you know, I just, it's it's really, you know, hats off to some of the offensive line coaches who really do a, a good job of, of teaching these guys how to be, be disciplined. I had um, a family member who just finished playing in the NFL, played 11 years uh, offensive line in the NFL. And um, I, I'd ask, how do you do it? I don't know how you do it. And um, going against, he played against some good dudes. We're talking about the best that we've seen in a long time, Aaron Donald. And uh, I said, man, you're moving backwards. He goes, yeah. He said, you, is just your patience. You have to be um, not not wanting to be so aggressive. And I find that hard because how do you transition for someone who's going to knock the crap out of you on run and then be so disciplined and patient on a pass rush? It really is a true art form as well. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you're right. Watching the film of those offensive linemen, you see those guys who are really, really patient. They keep their hands in. Um, and, and they're the kind of the last ones to blink, so to speak, uh, that, that is tough. Uh, we love seeing those guys who lunge and who shoot their, their hands early and maybe they cross their feet up. Uh, we, we start licking our chops on that. One of the, another thing too, that, 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 that I really, um, hate to see is when those offensive linemen stay on their blocks and they block through the whistle. Um, that's just, you know, it's just going to be one of those cinch up your chin strap kind of nights. Uh, when you see that out of those guys, that's, that's, that's not going to be a lot of fun. Well, coach, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's close some things out tonight with, with our rapid fire segment. Uh, I'm going to sure. ask some questions here. We'll have a little fun and, and, uh, and see where this goes. So here's our first question for you, coach. Um, you, you're a lifetime, uh, California guy, as far as coaching, uh, in that state, if you could coach in any other state, where would you coach and why? Hmm. I tell you what, uh, I've done a lot of camps. I've met a lot of kids, and um, I love Texas kids. I love the mindset of Texas kids. I love the uh, the way these kids come out of Texas, and how much pride and 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 how well coached they are in high school, and just how much passion they have for the game. Uh, I there's no other. I mean, Texas is right up there with some of the greatest high school football around. Um, yeah, really love the state. I appreciate it, Coach. I, I'll Venmo you fifty bucks for saying that. You for, <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna make the other Texas guys who check this podcast out pretty happy. Oh. You know. All right, next question. Um, favorite NFL defensive lineman to watch all time. This could be current or past. Who is your favorite uh, NFL defensive lineman to watch all time? Wow, uh, you have to single one out. I'll let you throw out a few. Okay. Uh, I mean, you know, I got to go with my Polynesian boy, Al Noga. Really liked him. Uh, I just felt like just as an undersized guy, he got so much done in the league, you know, just how, how well he played. Uh, my boy, uh, Isaac Sapuanga, man, how he was able to adapt. You know, let me tell you something, Ty, about uh, Isaac that you don't realize. Um, Isaac told me I'm trying to learn technique from Isaac. And you know what he tells me? He says, Coach, you know what helped me the most? He says, watching film. I said, how? He goes, because 
I can tell by the formation about 80% of the time where the ball's going. And he said, think about that. If I know before the ball's even snapped where the ball's going, that's how I'm going to go. So just how smart he was, and, and I really don't think he got the credit for it. Um, who who I like, too, is um, his partner that was with him at the <laughs> at the uh, 49ers. He was right next to him. They called him Cowboy. That's why I don't remember his name, the big DN, um, the big white kid. I'll remember his name, though, but those are some of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're you know, I think of several um, that, that I watched about when I was a kid. Uh, of course, Reggie White was playing for the Packers by the time I was really, you know, old enough to pay attention to football. And I remember, you know, I remember him. Um, obviously, Lawrence Taylor was on the end of his career when I was when I was a kid. But I had Tecmo Super Bowl, and he was oh. unblockable. Uh, and I know, obviously, he's an outside linebacker, but um, he was he was one of my favorite ones to you know to to watch play as as a kid. And then, of course, you know. You know, now you have, you know, the J.J. Watts and, and yeah. um, uh, of course, Aaron Donald, those guys. Those are, those are always uh, some, some guys who are really fun to watch. All right, here's your next question. Uh, okay. I ask this question a lot um, with, with game day. When it talks about game day, or mm-hmm. when we're talking about game day, uh, some coaches are really superstitious. They have their set routine or they have things that they have to do in order to feel good about the day. Are you superstitious when it comes to game day? If so, what are some of those things that, that, that you might be superstitious about? Um, so game day, I would say that not a whole lot of superstitions. I, um, I don't like to eat pregame. I don't know why, uh, give me a, a, a monster and, and I'm good for the day. We play at one. So, you know, I'm good, but I tell you what, about four o'clock, man, better watch out. I'll be killing me some food. As far as superstitions, um, I don't know if it's a superstitions, but we have a rule at Golden West. It's part of what I call my D line creed. Um, I've learned many years ago, Ty, that in order for me to be effective coach, I have to give these guys something to go by. So we have our D-line creed that we live by. There's four or five things that we've singled out um, that we live by at Golden West as a defensive line. Uh, and, you know, those are our rules. That's what we we all believe in. And they're held to that standard as I am myself. I'm as well. Uh, but one of the superstitions that I truly believe in is that I will not, I do not let any of those kids say the H word. If a kid comes to me, and especially the new kids, and they say, I'm getting held, they will go, I will get them out of my face. Do We do not say the H word at Golden West because you're going to get held. And yeah. if they start saying, oh, it's over. Man, I tell you what, I learned that early. That, man, so that's our rule. And we do not say that word. At Golden West, I, I love that. I, when kids, I, <laughs> I, I start off by saying that too, and, I, and I'll, yeah. I'll say, "Look, don't tell me that he's he's holding. That's like saying he's breathing. Like they're gonna hold. Like that's yeah. guess what? If I was coaching offensive line, we'd be holding the crap out of defensive line. Totally. So don't, yeah, yeah. That's a that's yeah. a huge, uh, probably a pet peeve of of every defensive line coach when a kid comes off the off the field. Coach, they're holding. Okay, oh, man. Right, get out of my face. When the young kids say that, the older kids will look at me and I'll just say, get the hell, get out of my face. what I do? You just said the H word. Get out of it. So, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. You mentioned, you mentioned when, when game the game is over, it's now mm-hmm. child time. So, I'm curious, what's the go-to meal when you're, when you're ready to really go throw down? Uh, what's on the menu? So, we got a hamburger place out here called In-N-Out. Have you ever been there before? 
Oh yeah, we have them in Texas, and that was actually. If, okay. I, mean, I can show you my notes here. This is my next question was going to be, what do you what what which what do you prefer? What's what's Carl's Junior in and out? Oh, that's uh, funny. In okay. and out, double double animal style. Okay, Dude. yeah, I, I get down with the animal style now. Double Dude. double. That's yeah. I guess if you haven't eaten all day, uh, yeah. yeah. Now you know in Texas we have Whataburger. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of that's kind of king it's here. Good. Um, and, and so I would, um, I would have to revoke my Texas citizenship <laughs> if, I, if I said too many good things about in and out, but it is good. Uh, and, and uh, we actually have a few here, uh, in Texas now, um, and DFW and, uh, different places, but yeah, yeah. that's, that's, that's good for sure. All right. Here, here's, here's your next question. Uh -huh. um, favorite book or podcast or. Uh, any other resource where you, when you go and seek out, um, you know, things to learn about football, what's, what's your favorite, I guess, avenue or, or thing to, to, to listen to or read? So um, there's, there's a couple books that have really, I felt impacted me as far as a coach and they weren't X's and O books, uh, Ty. Um, one was season of a life. Um, amazing story. Um, just incredible. You've probably heard of it. Uh, read the book and um, yeah, it just taught me a lot about just coaching, just, you know, you know, what to expect, you know, from these kids and, and the role that I'm playing, you know, is not just a coach. You really are, you know, a mentor for a lot of these kids and, um, you know, you do have an impact. I still have kids that call me. It's amazing. You know, hey, coach, how you doing from 10, 12 years ago? Yeah, it's really cool. The other, the other resource or coach that I feel like has really had a huge impact on me, um, and I don't obviously I don't have contact with him now, but it's uh, Mike Zimmer. He was my defensive coordinator. He's the head coach at the Minnesota Vikings right now, longtime DC for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Mike Zimmer, when I went up to Weaver, uh, taught me a lot about how important fundamentals are. Um, so. When you reported to camp in the summer, uh, you you had an appointment to uh, meet Coach Zimmer on the racquetball court. Back then, they had those indoor racquetball courts, and um, you know you you were going to play him. And um, you know he's just a old white guy, and here you are thinking you're a great athlete. He would slaughter everybody that went in there. It was humbling, and um, he he never said anything. He said. Just got to work on the fundamentals. And it sent the matches that no, to me that no matter how good an athlete you were, um, if you didn't know the fundamentals about the game, you weren't going to meet your potential. And he would literally stand back there, Ty, and I'd be running into walls, diving. And, stuff, and he's sitting in the back of the racquetball court, think, think, think. And um, just an incredible man. Um, I ended up having an opportunity Ten years after I left school, I was in Dallas Fort Worth when he was a DC at uh, at the Dallas Cowboys, and just by chance, my wife says, "Well, you know, just call down there. Maybe he's out." I said, "He's not going to answer." Ty, this man picks me up and invites me and my family and uh, my friend's family down to uh, the trip, the the offices down there where the uh, the workout room, their training center, and. Uh, Invites us and shows the place. In fact, I remember Charles Haley is in the locker room 
he's got his Doberman and kids running around. And he just says, oh, don't bother him. He's just getting some treatment. And then um, he he gets, he goes, let me take this call. He, it's on the, didn't even have a cell phone at the time. Then I think the, the office phone rings. I got to take this call. And it's Deion Sanders calling. Coach, did you watch the tape? He goes, hold on, it's Dion. <laughs> and I'm laughing. But you talk about a man that follows what he says and just, um, you know, if even at being at that level, it's just it's amazing how he truly, truly cares. You hear a lot of good things about him. But that's to me, is the guy that just sets the bar high for me. Yeah, Coach, that's that... Uh... That's a great story, and and uh, I've always been a fan of his, but did, but never really knew a whole lot about him as far as you know him him personally. But um, yeah. yeah, that's 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 awesome that you guys had you know still have that connection uh, even you know after you got done playing with him. Well, coach, great stuff today. I really really enjoyed talking with you. I picked up a lot of unique stuff, and I think that that you shared some things uh, with us that that guys are going to really find useful. So just want to thank you again for coming on and talking with us, and want to wish you and and uh, guys at Golden West, the best of luck, uh, 2021. Thanks, Ty. Man, I loved talking with Coach Herring today. He just he just strikes me as a guy with a lot of wisdom, and uh, I appreciate his kind words there at the beginning of our conversation and also for joining us today. So be sure to follow Coach on Twitter, at CoachSavay57. That's at Coach, S-A-V-E-A-5-7, and let him know you heard him here on KYPD. Be sure to follow us on Twitter as well. You can find us at KYPD Podcast. And if you're liking what you're hearing and you're looking for a way to do a good deed this week and pump up my ego, then please go and leave us a five-star rating and a review. It takes just a minute, and it really helps spread the word about our podcast here. Our quote of the day goes like this. No chance, no destiny, no fate can circumvent or hinder the firm resolve of a determined soul. And we'll get out of here on that. Have a great week and a great 4th of July. I hope you guys have an awesome day of celebrating this wonderful country, celebrating uh, the freedoms that we enjoy. So, hey, turn that Lee Greenwoods, God bless the USA, up. But let's go change. is going to remind you, you better keep your pads down. <laughs>